So if you're joining us for the first time, we are in the middle, close to the end actually, of our current teaching series this fall called Spiritual Formation and Practicing the Way. And our hope uh, and desire for this teaching series is that it will give you a window into who we are and how we'll practice the way of Jesus together. And so we've gone through our first three cultural values, which is Christ is our core, mission is our mandate, people are our priority. A lot of alliteration going on here. Uh, If you want to get caught up, you can find us online and catch up with those teachings. But today we are starting our fourth cultural value, which is generosity is our gift. Um, And so today we're going to talk about generosity uh, really with our time, talents, and treasures, as many churches would put it, but it's really generosity with our very lives. Uh, Next week is the fun sermon, which is specifically about money, so if you're going to be sick, don't make it next week, all right? (laughs) So that's that's next week. So um, anyways, we're talking about generosity because I think often... um, specifically in the church and Christianity, sometimes when we talk about generosity, there's almost this like instant like muscle memory, like twitch, and we just like think about our finances and we clutch our wallets or maybe our phones if we're on that Apple Pay vibe, right? Um, But generosity actually is of our entire lives. It's generosity uh, with our relationships. It's generosity with our time. And so today we're going to kind of try to understand this value for us as a church community as a means of participating and not simply spectating. Generosity is participating and not spectating. And so today, as Dania read from our teaching text, it's uh, in uh, one of Paul's letters to the church in Corinth, in ancient uh, Corinth, which would be modern-day Greece today. And so just a little bit of context around this letter, because we love context here at Passion Church. So What's really interesting is in our Bible, we have two letters to the Corinthian church. We have 1 Corinthians and we have 2 Corinthians. But if we actually read the scriptures and as many biblical scholars have actually really been able to um, understand, there were actually a couple of other letters that Paul had written to the Corinthian church. We just don't have them as, um, we, we physically never were able to find these letters, but we do have 1 and 2 Corinthians. And we know this because Paul himself actually references one of these other letters in the third in the in the second chapter of 2 Corinthians in verses 3 to 4. And so again, as Paul from his second missionary journey, he was with the believers in Corinth. Again, a small kind of like home church, maybe the size of us, like under 40. And at that time, during his second missionary journey in the church of Corinth, there was actually a lot of, like, division happening. And so there had been some false teachers that had kind of, like, snuck into the community and whatever they were doing, whether it was, like, gossiping, spreading false teachings, some type of whack business, like, it, it, it kind of um, turned the community on to Paul. And so Paul was actually driven out of the community. And so he makes his way back to Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. um, And he kind of just sets up base there. He actually was in prison for a while. But anyway, so that's kind of a bit of the context. And so as Paul is writing this letter, 2 Corinthians, um, he's actually writing encouragement. And so after he was driven out of uh, the community, he writes this sorrowful letter, which is the letter that we do not have, which Paul himself references in chapter 2. And so after he sends this sorrowful letter, whether there's some rebuking or whatever was going on in that letter, the community, the believers in Corinth, again, modern-day Greece, they like repent and they're sorry and they're like, 
you know, they're like, sorry, Paul, like we, we were in the wrong. And so then Paul hears of all of these shifts and changes. And then now we have second Corinthians. And so the first nine, uh, the first nine chapters of second Corinthians are Paul expressing his relief and encouragement to the community, to the believers that lived in Corinth. So chapters one to nine, there was encouragement and relief. Chapters 10 to 13 were specifically focused on the division that was still evident, specifically calling out the people that were still part of the community that were maybe the false teachers that were still kind of there and remaining part of the community. But anyways, today's teaching text is found in chapter nine, which is part of that section of relief and encouragement. And so here, Paul, again, he's encouraging the believers to to double down on the practices of the way of Jesus and specifically here emphasizing this value of generosity. So we're going to jump back into it, verses six to nine, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. And so as Paul is kind of reteaching the believers this like, principle of generosity, he's using this very familiar illustration of sowing and reaping. And so we see that throughout the Old Testament, Jesus himself throughout the Gospels talks about sowing and reaping. And so if you're not familiar with what sowing and reaping is, it's, it's kind of like this farmer thing. Um, I'm not a farmer, but it's this farmer thing. Uh, any farmers in the house? Probably not because we're in the city. So anyways, so what sowing is, is to understand it, it's like to scatter it's to plant, it's to introduce specifically seed uh, for the purpose of harvest. And so reaping would be defined as, in a very literal sense, it's to cut with like a sickle to like gather the crop. It's to, again, gather, harvest, or to obtain. So again, this, this, this understanding of sowing and reaping is, is a lot of this like farming, planting uh, imagery because that would have been really familiar for the people in the first century context. And so... A modern-day parallel, if we were to understand it maybe with some more familiar language for today, uh, could be the more you invest into appreciating assets like real estate or a Toyota, because Toyotas are great, um, whatever it is, the more appreciating assets you obtain, the more ROI, return on investment, you'll probably receive. So that's essentially what Paul is trying to drive here. And what is also really important to understand around the context around the city in Corinth is specifically this city um, in the the kind of Greco-Roman world, the city of Corinth, again, modern-day Greece, was one of the most wealthy and most established cities uh, in, like, the ancient times. Uh, A way we could maybe even understand it for today is Corinth could be, like, a modern, like, like what New York is to us, or like the Silicon Valley, like a lot of influence, or like a Dubai, you know, like a lot of money that is represented in this city. And so that means there's this kind of like backdrop to the culture of the city of Corinth, specifically for these recent converts to Christianity, for these believers. And so for these 
Corinthian believers, Paul probably would understand that there was probably like this tight fisted nature around uh, not simply just their wealth, but all the things that they had, that it was part of the subculture of living in Corinth. Kind of like a toddler who only knows the word mine, or an adult that only knows the word mine. Um, but by now, again, we've really talked about, like since we've started in September, like the first century context, which is where a lot of these New Testament letters uh, originate and are written in that time. Like there is this backdrop of honor, status, wealth, and prestige, which again really mirrors our like first world culture today. And so um, this teaching that these believers would be hearing, that they'd be hearing from uh, this letter, and, and again, a lot of people were illiterate. And so as Paul writes these letters, they would, if you know, Paul was alive today and he wrote, a ch- uh, wrote if we were the one church in like Vancouver, it'd be probably called like Vancouverites, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Vancouver. Vancouverites, that's, the, that's what we're called, right? Yeah, Vancouverites. It'd be called Vancouverites, and then someone in our community that could read would read that letter out loud. And so we have to understand, like, for people hearing, like, these principles, again, they're, like, recent converts. Or re- they're, like, just beginning to find out all of these, like, principles and teachings of uh, Jesus. Like, this would have been so almost, like, controversial and inverse because, like, again, Life was about accumulating, and it was, it was about, like, climbing the corporate ladder in a sense, but the way of Jesus is the complete opposite. Imagine, like, if it's like trying to plant a church in Dubai and trying to convince or, you know, let's say some of these, like, really wealthy oil families, like, come to faith. And it's trying to teach them these principles of, like, oh, the more you give, the more you'll receive, where, like, for them, that'd be a really kind of, weird understanding of understanding finances and possessions. And so that's kind of, again, this idea of giving your money away. Um, even when we, we, we read the scriptures in the New Testament about inviting people into your home, that meant more than just having someone over for a meal. If you invited someone in your home in the first century, you were pretty much saying, like, we're going to be best friends. Like, you were inviting people into your life. And so as Paul is telling people, like, yeah, you know, invite people, break bread with people, like, these are really high standards of, like, following Jesus. It's to completely change how you lived your life. To even, like, volunteer your time and to work with no incentives would have been such a counter-cultural teaching. Like, the way of Jesus then and really today was, was so, um, what's the word? Countercultural, yeah, thank you, Delia. Countercultural, thank you. Um, uh, as I was preparing for this, uh, I, I heard this illustration um, that I thought was really helpful. It's like, again, as we understand all that we have is being given from the Lord, it's like being, if we were an, in, if you were an illiterate, you were an investment manager, uh, someone who like invested other people's money into mutual funds and all, all the kinds of funds that are fun. Right, and so your 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 role and your job is to help, pretty much make money for people. You want the maximum return on investment, and so let's say um, you know you have a client. So let's say his name is Emmanuel, God with us. Anyways, client Emmanuel, and he gives you one million dollars to invest to make profit to make money, and then all of a sudden Emmanuel says, you know what? You can actually keep all of the profit. Keep 90%. 
all I ask is just maybe give 10% back to me, just at least. That sounds like an incredible deal, right? And that's essentially how we as followers of Jesus need to like understand all that we have. Again, not just simply our finances and, and, and our wealth, but it's our entire lives. You know, for us, everything as followers of Jesus, if we understand generosity through Christ, all that we have and all that we are, our innate skills, our abilities, our talents, our even uh, circumstances, even being, uh, you know, let's say being for us second gen, being born here, there's already so many opportunities given to us that are born here. Like this is all because of the Lord. And so understanding that we are truly stewards of our time, talents, and treasures, if we truly understand everything being given to us, our circumstances, how we have been shaped in life, does that not change how we live our lives as followers of Jesus? And so what Paul promises to the generous giver when we live our lives and with this level of stewardship, isn't simply like this abundance of wealth, but in verse eight, all that you need for every good work. And so when we choose to bless others with, you know, whether it be with our finances, maybe it's in our time, maybe it's through relationship, like whether it just be having a coffee with someone and like listening and having a conversation, when we choose to bless other people in the things that we steward, the Lord will continue to provide and sustain the resources for us to continue to live generously. That is the promise that Paul is saying. However, Paul also addresses the attitude of our heart when we're giving. He says, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Compulsion? Sounds weird. Compulsion. Compulsion, thanks so much. <laughs> for God loves a cheerful giver. I remember when I was in Bible college, I was having a conversation with one of my classmates, and they were saying in the previous church, because um, they were interning at that time, and so they were kind of exposed to some of like uh, the conversations that would be reserved for just the staff, and there was a congregational member that was very wealthy, and uh, they had an issue with the senior pastor not wearing a tie. And so they stopped tithing. And so they maybe told a board member or whatever, like, I'm not going to tithe until the senior pastor starts wearing a tie. And then the board made the senior pastor wear a tie. There's a lot of issues there, which we're not going to dive into, but this guy was clearly not a cheerful giver. Because clearly for that wealthy congregant, he viewed his finances as his. And again, everything that we have, we are just stewards. God has given all that we have. He has put you in the position in your company with the relationships around you to maybe move up in your company. For us as followers of Jesus, we are simply stewards of our time, talents, and treasures. It is very possible for us to give things away, whether it be money, our time, hospitality, and also not have a great attitude about it. The psalm that uh, Elise read as we kind of got started was from Psalm 112, which is the same psalm that Paul referenced in uh, that first part. And this theologian, his name is John Stott, he kind of describes a little bit more in detail what this person is like that is being described in this psalm. He says this, such a person being that in Psalm 112, 
is the embodiment of the godly person portrayed in Psalm 112, who scatters abroad their gifts to the poor. This person is blessed with numerous and upright descendants, with prosperity, with clear guidance in life, and with courage. The apostle has the whole psalm in mind, not merely the verse he quotes. If the Corinthians then, or we today, had modeled our lives on Psalm 112, this entire section of the letter would be unnecessary. Sometimes we can't get a full grasp and paradigm of how God can even bless us. In this section, we see that God can literally bless us. It's like, you know, as, as some of you will eventually probably have children, it's like as we live our lives generously and stewards of all that we have, like God is already blessing like your future children that, are ev- that aren't even alive yet. Like we can't even begin to understand the abundance and level of blessing that God can do. But that's what it means to have this childlike faith, knowing that, you know, how we live our lives you know, it's, for, it's like, even as we sung, like we're just giving everything to the Lord because he has so graciously given us so much. But in his kindness, he can bless us way more tenfold than we can begin to imagine. Are we living our lives like this person described in Psalm 112 who freely scatters his gifts to those around them? Or are we living our lives like these tight-fisted Corinthians? Let's keep reading verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving— the needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And so Paul gives us like two very tangible um, results of our giving. Number one, there's an impact on our world. When we continue to give to those around us, God will continue to to sustain that giving. The other is there's an impact in our church. You know, when we give to you know our community again whether it be simply with our finances like tithing or it's simply like taking people out or spending time with people there is a ripple effect of praise that that results in more people giving praise and thanksgiving to god which is verses 11 to 12 as christ followers we live in response to the greatest gift the greatest act of love in human history, which is the person of Jesus Christ, the atonement that is his life, death, and resurrection. Let me read a familiar text for us, um, John 3, 16. But I'm gonna read it from the contemporary English version, which I just feel like it, it, just, it just lands different. Let me read this. God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life and never really die. When we live in response to what Christ has done for us, there is a supernatural impact on how we live our lives. You know, we're so stressed and anxious about a lot of things, but when we submit that to the Lord, knowing that he will sustain us, 
He will be the provider of obviously like our tangible things because obviously we have bills to pay and all of those things, but also trusting that he'll be the source of joy in hard times. Like there is something that happens in our hearts. When we understand generosity at this macro level, God can also grow our capacity to generously love those who persecute us. Like the bounds of generosity in Christ are limitless. But it starts with a simple faith in the one who has already freely given his life for us. Beholding the life, the life of Christ naturally and supernaturally shifts how we live our lives. Let me read this last cluster of verses here, and then we'll prepare to receive communion. Verse 13. As a result of your ministry, that being your life of generosity, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. These practical acts of kindness are all these little manifestations of God's presence and graciousness in our lives. In the fall of 2020, uh, my father is fine. He's alive. He's good. But my father had a stroke. And there was just a lot of crazy events. Um, and, like, the right people were there at the right time to catch it. And he, he was in the hospital for a while and had to get all this rehabilitation. Um, but in that season, like, that was happening. That was, like, again, like, peak pandemic, kind of. And I got COVID, which sucked. I was also in school. School doesn't suck, but, you know, Everything sucks when that's all going on, right? Um, I love Regent. I love Regent. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, like, there was a lot going on in my life, and um, I, I just remember, like, so many people just stepping up. And, you know, there was just, there was a lot, a lot going on, a lot of, again, I mean, there was nothing really sure in that time, right? And I just remember so many people just, like, immediately texting me, like, hey, can we make some meals, uh, so that, uh, you know, you and your mother don't have to worry about cooking. Um, you know, can we pick up things? Can we, and just just so many kind messages. And even in that time, like, I know that, you know, often in crisis and grief, like, it, it everyone experiences it differently. And I know I probably wasn't the most pleasant person to be around because I'm just dealing with all of this anxiety and whatever. And so I know when I would hang with people, I probably wasn't the the most enjoyable person in that room. But my friends loved me, were patient with me regardless. Even last year, so 2021, when we started the journey of planting this church, like we had nothing. And uh, for, for months, I, for, even for me, like I, I didn't have any income. And so I'm just trusting. And there was, there was peace that the Lord was leading us in this. But again, like just supernatural things, whether it's people that felt uh, prompted to support me and give to me because we didn't even have a bank. So there's no tax receipt on that at all. But people still felt called, whether it was people with like friendships or people afar. It was like random people giving me opportunities to work really random jobs, nothing sketchy. They were all fine. But like, like yeah, I can do that. And like God sustained me. But in all of these acts of kindness, especially for those that like made food, would just invite me over for a meal. It's like those acts of, of generosity and kindness were not just momentary. Like that has completely shifted how I live my life. And praise God, I got my first paycheck in March, but it's like it, 
literally like is is such a gift to be able to take someone out for coffee and be like, hey, just so you know, I'm not expensing this. Like this is on me because I love you. Because sometimes in church, we just got to like make sure, right? Because we have a small church and we don't have much money. But anyways, there is a joy. And obviously like, you know, in all that we're doing, it's nothing sure, right? Like we don't have a sending church, whatever. But in, in these last two years of experiencing God's kindness and generosity from those around me, it does something to you. Where like, I am super chill, where maybe some people on our team are a little bit stressed of, you know, whatever, where I'm like, God has been so faithful. And even if, you know, like, even if our church folds in two years because we just can't keep paying for whatever, it's like, to know the relationships that have been established. Because like what um, Danny was saying in our pre-service prayer, like we are the church, you know, we can meet wherever. And if, if God's hand is, is on this, if God's presence is in this space, in whatever space, whether it's, you know, we meet wherever, like God is kind and he loves his children and he will always provide for you. And so for me, and I think for anyone who receives, when you experience all of these like generous acts of kindness, it, it shapes you not only as a receiver, but it influences you as a giver. But the big thing is you have to be in a position to first receive. Because if you don't have that paradigm, then you'll never know the joy it is to give because you know what the other end feels like. When you have very little and you are trusting in God, and you're like, Lord, I think I'm being faithful to what you do for what, where you have me. The God, the like, Lord, the Lord will provide, and just completely change, reorient your heart and how you live. A life, a life following Jesus is not a life of spectating. When you choose to participate in the life of God in a community when you view all that you have as from the Lord and as as opportunities to bless those around you, there is a contentment, there is a joy that supernaturally comes from the Lord. Let's pray.